Hi, this is Jeremy from Jeremy and Brian Try to Podcast, and I never listen to I Dot It with Dollamore unless, of course, I'm checking in to see if they're using this promo at the top of the show. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Episode 497 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and today I'm joined by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly, and interested in poverty of children, Brittany Page. I spend a fair amount of time reading about that. Yeah. It, it is your interest in... There are certain things that are kind of core and fundamental to people, by the way, terrible Segway. Mm-hmm. Terrible segue. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is hashtag third episode. It is. It is. I don't know that we're going to be able to to power through with interesting intros for three episodes a week. Yeah, listen, our lives are not that interesting. <laughs> you know what I mean? It- There's only only so many t- days a week I can bitch about traffic or parking or whatever. You also don't want to hear about at bully with a Y Popeye all the time. Wow. Right? Well, apparently it's going to continue. Well... <laughs> We'll see. <laughs> so, so, so back to the the what I was saying is there are certain things that people are interested in, like at their core level, mm-hmm. and poverty, not just poverty, but especially how it affects children, mm-hmm. is something that, as long as I've known you, you've been very interested in, mm-hmm. and I think it's partly obviously because it touched you as a child, mm-hmm. but I think it's more than that. Hmm. I think really it has to do with the fact that children are blameless mm-hmm. in their poverty. They don't have an they don't have a choice in the matter at all. It's not like they can pick a different family. It's not like they can go get a job to better their situation. Mm-hmm. There are no bootstraps to to pull themselves up by. Yeah, they're fucking kids. Yeah, well, I think a large part of it is that I grew up poor, and um, my parents my dad in particular grew up poor um my mom's dad was educated and he did have money but she was closed out of that yeah and so we we did uh have a house though because luckily my my dad's mom ended up marrying somebody after he was already grown up and he had money and so there was there was a little bit of yeah. money that they had where they were able to get a house and um we, we had a house in idaho unfortunately they took out um double mortgages on that house because you know when you come from poverty no one tells you how to manage money and right. and, and what that looks like it, it might not be financial uh, illiteracy, but it's certainly financial learning disability. Right. And so they got really close to having this opportunity to not be in poverty and it, it escaped their grasp. Yeah. And, and I think this happens for a lot of people, right? Many, many people. And the other thing that really bothers me about poverty is that there, there seems to be contempt 
for people that are born into situations where they don't have money. Um, a certain segment of the... Like it's a moral failing. Right. A certain segment of the political spectrum would would view people with contempt that they are poor and that they don't have the means to, to escape. Trump, baby! So there was an interesting report that came out that I want to talk about because we didn't talk about it, and I think it's really important. So in 2015, Congress agreed to produce a $750,000 report on how to cut child poverty in America. Very expensive report. Yeah, right. (laughs) But wait till you hear how much child poverty costs the United States every year. Would you like to guess? Mm. Would you like to throw something out there? Um, what it cost, like, like relative to like GDP or, or just the act, the real cost of, of financial assistance. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what the costs are related to, and then you can, then you can make a guess. So costs related to increased crime, worsened health, lower earnings when poor kids become adults, just cumulative effects. A broad panoply of, um, let's say... It's really hard. Two hundred billion dollars a year. Okay, eight hundred billion to one point one trillion every wow. year. Every year. I guess when you take into account incarceration and uh, mental health care costs, like, there's a, there's a there, it's a pretty wide spectrum. That's not. I mean, it's it's shocking, but it's not surprising, or the other way around. Right. However, we. You know, that's kind of a common phrase now in Trump land. Mm-hmm. So, Well, and you'd think that conservatives would be interested in addressing something that is so expensive and costly. Because of the budget and deficits and everything, of right? Of course, yeah. yeah. And Fiscal responsibility, Brittany Page. Yeah, so the committee that was responsible for drafting this study is made up of child poverty researchers, including economists and... Uh, economists. Including economists and psychologists and uh, the people who wrote the book Scarcity, which is a book that I have on my Amazon wish list that I need to purchase and read. Um, but these people outlined the most beneficial, the the plans that would be most likely to to help with this this significant problem that we have on our hands. And each one of the solutions that they offered that would do anything. Um, to address poverty, cutting it by a third, cutting it by a half. They involve giving people money. Yeah. That's what they involve. Okay. Um, the bigger the program, the more it does to reduce poverty, right? People people don't want big government doing anything, it's right? Kind of, it's kind of a no, yeah, no shit, right? Uh-huh. The, the more likely the program is to give people money, the more it does to reduce poverty. And, 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 and conversely, likely... I don't know because I don't have anything that you're looking at in front of me, but likely the more um, money that is given, the more opposed to it that side of the aisle is. Well, I'm sure that would be the case, but let's talk about the things that aren't going to make a difference, okay? Uh, Marriage promotion, right? Promoting marriage um, and long-term relationship stability. That's not something that is offered as a solution in this report. Uh, Long-acting reversible contraceptive. Because of the efficacy of the, not just because, oh yeah, we don't think so. They've looked at this. Yes. Yes. And statistically, it doesn't pan out as a solution. And then, like I was saying about the long-acting reversible contraceptives, that is not um, a solution because... 
it's intended to prevent women from having children that they don't have the ability to support, right? So then people are not having kids that they can't afford. And then those kids are not born into poverty and that, right? People would think, oh, just, you know, give them some birth control and make it stop. Well, there's also some issues with that where communities of color have been targeted um, at a higher rate with those kinds of programs where they kind of go into these communities where people may not understand what is actually being given to them. Right. Um, and there's some ethical concerns there, if, if you see what I'm getting at. Yeah, I do. But I think that if they're saying I'm going to push back here, if they're saying that given a woman the choice of of of, of reproduction, that that's not because that is time tested that if you give a woman autonomy over her reproductive system, she she rises. So I must have not I must have not been describing something accurately, I guess. So they're not saying that providing access and ensuring that people have access to uh, control their reproductive system is not something that that is helpful in reducing poverty hmm. but it is not something that is listed as a solution to reducing poverty here because there isn't enough evidence um, of any large-scale program that has been able to effectively reduce oh, I see. poverty on a large scale i see uh, listen I, I also i i could see where um when the government gets involved relative to pressuring and targeting groups to not have babies, that is for sure a recipe for questions and problems. For sure. Yeah. I mean, look at look look at it this way. If we left it up to Donald Trump to choose which populations they were going to really put put the put the screws to to implant themselves with medium term but reversible birth control. Who would trust? Who would trust that that would be uh, administered equitably, fairly, not with some eugenics kind of a fucking uh, taste to it, you know? Well, and you also can't have these people pretending like they even care about people getting access to contraceptive when they they don't support Planned Parenthood, yeah. when they, you know, advocate on behalf of a religious boss overlords who want to control what kinds of prescriptions people get with the insurance at their, yeah. at their work. So they can't have it both ways and they, they can't try to pretend like they care about it. So, so let me ask you this. So... Just for clarity for me, is it saying it's recommending programs that could be enacted by the government and that's just not on the list of something that the government does well to impact poverty? Well, it's saying that they there's not enough evidence of, okay. of any large scale yeah. program, right? Um, if, if we're talking about like expansions of Medicaid and ensuring that people have the coverage necessary to get contraceptive, something like that, um, that would be a different story. But th they're just saying that there's not enough evidence for gotcha. for a large scale program yeah, yeah. of that sort. And similar with the work requirements, which are becoming popular right now as well, working requirements for getting SNAP benefits, uh, food stamps. So things like that, those are not included in this report as solutions. But what is included in this report as solutions are increases to the earned income tax credit, yeah. which makes the child care tax credit fully refundable. Um, programs, work programs in which disadvantaged individuals are trained with job skills necessary to uh, fulfill demand in local areas. And something that 
is useful for cutting the child poverty rate in half. So it uh, one of the things that they suggest includes, obviously, that increase to the earned income tax credit, uh, a bigger one, and increases the minimum wage to ten twenty five per hour, and then makes the child tax credit refundable, offers various anti-poverty programs to legal immigrants who are currently barred, and also includes a child allowance of 2700 per year, as well as 1200 per year publicly funded minimum child support payments for single parents who are entitled entitled to child support from their former partners because a lot of times these people can't pay uh, child support. So then the government would kind of step in and ensure that there is some funding going that way. Yeah. Um, so these types of things are what cuts that child poverty in half. So it causes the rate to fall from 12.6% to 6.1%, which would actually lift 4.8 million kids out of poverty. And the cost, since we're talking about cost here as well, the cost of that program would be 111.6 billion per year but if you remember child poverty is costing us 800 billion to 1.1 trillion every year so even if you're giving all of this money right right, and that's kind of going to be the argument well you're giving all this money away we can't do that you can't give people money that's not the way that we do things here well compare those costs well also listen even in my brain, because I'm still I still fight programming as like having a conservative mindset. It is well, you're just giving this money to these these people. Who's to say they're going to do with it, do well with it? And that's not the point of what we're talking about here. I had to check myself mid. You know, I can't control what my brain fucking does. <laughs> yeah, but this- and, and, well, I want to say this is we're talking about kids children this is going to this is going to impact the lives of children and if it as an ancillary effect it impacts the lives of the adults you're we're still talking about kids that need to be taken care of even if you think they're they have shitty parents well and that's kind of the point right so if people are angry with parents then look at the kids and think how can we stop this cycle how can this kid be a taxpayer When they become an adult, how can they have a job? How can they get an education? And all of these things can't happen by them working really hard and trying their best. They need more than that. And obviously, if you don't want to take my word for it, then take the word of economists and child poverty researchers who have dedicated their lives to studying this and who know far more about it than any of us do. So... Well, this is good information to take into 2020 with us, because as it stands now, the Trump administration is nothing short of hostile to the U.N. Um, reporter, the, the guy who's the repertoire or whatever. Rutger Bergman? Yeah, he, who's the the repertoire on, oh, on poverty. Oh, you're talking about World. Philip Astlin. That's right, Philip Astlin. And um, they are hostile toward him when he comes into America and tours city after city after city. And sees with his own eyes and has done reports that the United States does have a poverty problem. And because we live in the Donald Trump age where you can't say anything negative, you can't point out anything that's true or factual if it has a negative uh, underpinning to it, they, they just dismiss out of hand the fact that we clearly, especially in larger cities, have a problem with homelessness, with housing shortages. It is a problem. 
Well, you're talking about the election. And actually, since 2017, uh, Democratic Senator Michael Bennett from Colorado and Democratic Senator from Ohio, Sherrod Brown, have been pushing the American Family Act, which is a bill that would create a $3,000 child allowance for older kids and a $3,600 allowance for younger kids. And it's actually modeled after this, the Poverty Experts Plan. And almost every major Democratic senator who's running or considering running for president has co-sponsored the bill. Yeah. So uh, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Gillibrand, Klobuchar, Warren, uh, Bernie Sanders, I don't think has supported it. Um, But if you're talking about the election and we're talking about poverty and and what could help, these are things to pay attention to. Are are the candidates in support of of these types of things that will lift kids out of poverty? And and keep in mind also, and this is kind of preaching to the choir, I think probably with our audience, but this isn't just a giveaway. You give people money. What do they do with that money? They spend that money. They put it back into the economy, which is going to benefit and bolster small businesses, big business. It's going to be back into the system. They're not going to be hoarding this money and holding on to it. Mm-hmm. They're going to be paying daycares with it. They're going to be using it for groceries. It's, it's going to be an engine driving the economy anyway. Yeah. It's good. That's good information. Yeah. We should uh we should do this more often mm-hmm. where we talk about studies and fact-based evidence-based solutions. Yeah. Well, it's something that I care about a lot and it's something I'm always reading about, but um it can be kind of exhausting to have a conversation about. Yeah. So. Well, we'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email those voice memos from those smartphones to this email address. I doubt it at dollamore.com. So over the weekend on Friday, a white supremacist gunman in New Zealand charged into a mosque and killed 49 people, injuring Dozens, I think 20 or so, some critically. So that death toll is unfortunately likely going to rise. Look, we we live in an era where white supremacy is, to use the phrase, on the rise. It is clear. It is statistically sound that white supremacy type crimes violence is is exploding with triple digit increases i believe and i think many believe that donald trump is is um a large part of this maybe not solely responsible but certainly plays a role he denies it we're going to get into all of that But first, let's get to a couple voicemails on the matter, or a voicemail and an email, as it were. Hey, Jesse, it's Brittany. Hey, Brittany, this is uh, Thomas in Kansas. Okay, I'm pretty sure you guys will cover it in your next podcast. So I'm basically sending this after the terrible events that happened today in New Zealand. Uh, First off, my condolences to all the families who lost somebody over there. Um, And once again... Our, you know, orange clown in chief didn't bother to even say anything. And when he did, it was so contrite. But that's not even the problem I'm having. The problem I'm having is 
the gentleman that they arrested had this 74-page manifesto, and Candace Owens' name came up. Good old Candace Owens, the uh, black Tommy Laren. Anyway, and she went on Twitter trying to defend herself once again, even though the gentleman directly said that her words inspired him, and she was out there caping for herself. So let me be the first black liberal man to say this. I'm pretty sure every other black person thinks the same thing. Candace Owens is full of shit. Candace Owens is doing this for the money. No ifs, no ands, no buts. I already know this, and most black folks do. You cannot have the words and crap that comes out of your mouth, having the history and the ancestry that she has, and say that crap and believe it. This gentleman pointed directly to her as a reason for why he did what he did. That's no ambiguity. That's not a lie. That's a fact. And she's already talking about, quote, going Covington High School on these people if anybody says that. So she's going to sue media outlets for reporting facts. Good luck on that one, buddy. But I And I know you guys don't support her. I know y'all look at her. She's, she's probably like the lowest totem pole idiot ever. But let's be honest. Candace Owens' words directly influenced somebody who murdered 49 Muslim people in their mosque. There's no ambiguity about that. That is a strict fact. And I hope you guys address this because all day I've just been sitting there laughing. I've actually gave her a couple of tweets, and this is one of the things I asked her. Either you're standing behind everything that you said, in which case that means you directly involve, you directly inspire somebody who murdered 49 people, or you don't, and the alt-right boys are going to come after you. What do you guys think? Love the show. Both of you guys are the most part. Say hi to Popeye for me. Peace. Popeye. He's asleep right now. Snoring. Under the table snoring. So um, a lot of the media outlets are reporting. I haven't. I didn't read the manif- manifesto. It's like 70 pages long or something. So 80 um, something, I think. But yeah, it's voluminous. But a lot of the media outlets are reporting that it seemed like the claim that Candace Owens was most responsible for radica- radicalizing him, which was the claim that he wrote, that it seemed like it was intended as a joke. So I, I don't know. I'm not reading it i yeah i don't really know but I, I did read that take from a few people so the manifesto though is clearly filled with anti-muslim sentiment it refers to non-whites as invaders who are threatening to replace white people so again white genocide it's referring to and he said that he is using guns in his attack because he wants the united states to tear itself apart over arguing about gun laws and so he is a white supremacist racist terrorist who is just trying to wreak havoc right and using language that's used by all of these ding-dongs the invasion and uh the great replacement all, all of the white genocide using that which we've talked about on the show a lot yeah, and also he was on 8chan. And 4chan and 8chan, Which yeah. I hadn't even heard of 8chan, so... He, he referred to Donald Trump, by the way, just for to kind of wrap a bow around this. Donald Trump is a symbol of renewed white identity and common purpose. It doesn't get much clearer than that, that Donald Trump also played a role 
in this. Well, and when Donald Trump refuses to acknowledge that white supremacy is a growing problem, I wish that they would ask him about that directly. You know, like, why was the guy with the Donald Trump van? What, what was his deal? Uh, what's this guy who says this about you and is praising you? You know, why are all these people praising you? You know, I mean, yeah. I know you can't get an answer out of him, so it doesn't really matter, but at least try and like repeatedly ask it because I just want to watch him squirm and, and not know what to say. It, there, sh- there are certain questions that should be asked over and over and over until he answers. And if he doesn't answer, he's going to be asked it because it will set in everyone's mind that, oh, that's a question he's refusing to answer. Can we also talk about how the shooter live streamed his shooting yeah. on Facebook and how it has been watched like thousands and thousands of times and the video was taken and uploaded elsewhere and people keep watching it. D- what are you doing? S- stop watching that video. Don't search and watch that video. I, yeah. it, it reminds me of a few years ago when this thing went viral. It was like a video of some celebrity overdosing and dying and it was fake. But every time someone clicked on it to watch, it would reshare it in, in the Facebook feed. So everyone knew that you were like falling for this scam and trying to watch this video. And I remember thinking like, even if this video was real, why would you want to watch that? Yeah. Like what what has happened to us? Well, reality TV has happened to us. It's, it's debased. Because this is like real life. Yeah. We're not in a video game, you know, and these are real people who were being gunned down it's not a movie. It's not a game. It's real. What the hell? Yeah. It makes me very uncomfortable. I don't watch. I, you. I, I even have a problem with like the police brutality videos. Some are, are so important that I force myself to watch it. But it. it's... I don't want to say it hurts me, but it is certainly... Um, I don't feel good. After watching them, mm-hmm. even during, I mean, you know how even watching like Borat and Nathan for you makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Those videos, it's just off the chart. I mean, maybe it's anxiety. Maybe that's what I'm. That's what I'm describing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, thank you, Thomas. Listen, I don't know specifically about the black Tommy Lahren. I think that's fucking hilarious, but I, I don't know whether or not he was truly inspired by her or just being. Um, a, a fucking stupid troll in his in his writings. I haven't read it. Uh, like Brittany said, there have been some some interpretations of it that it was tongue in cheek. I don't know exa- exactly how they'd get to that since it is written, but um, we'll have to look at it. But you also don't have to accept that the argument that he's being genuine, that she inspired him in order to believe that Candace Owens has a negative effect on people and can have a corrupting effect. Not only that, you know whose names aren't in that? Me and Brittany and other people of good faith. People whose names are in it are Anders Breivik from Norway who killed 70-some people. Dylan Roof who shot up the the church in Charleston, South Carolina, of black parishioners. Well, and there's there's no arguing that the 
alt-right YouTube hellhole that people go down, um, even even in my feed. And sometimes, yeah, I do search for videos because I have to get something for you in your videos or I have to watch something for context to be able to talk about it on the show. But I'm not like watching this stuff regularly. And there's constantly Joe Rogan videos in my yeah. in my feed, which is the beginning it's a of gateway. yeah it's the gateway to the the youtube hellhole alt-right hellhole and that's not just my opinion okay uh they have there's a report on that on alt-right youtube conspiracy um the the network right yeah. there's like a map of how it's all connected and joe rogan is a part of it and i forgot which video it was that was was in my feed, but even the title was problematic where I was like, really? He's talking about that? Okay. Uh, yeah. Interesting. So you watch a YouTube video about like drums and then suddenly you're being sent over to Joe Rogan and then suddenly you're being sent to Jordan Peterson and yeah. you know, it, it just, right. and then it gets worse and it's worse. A straight line from those guys. Yeah. The other thing I want to talk about here is can we put to bed finally that the, the okay symbol hasn't been co-opted and being used as a white supremacist power symbol mm-hmm. prior symbol because this guy's in court doing it pro- pro- prominently yeah on his belt because he's handcuffed yeah and then you you see it juxtaposed against guys like fucking mike cernovich and all these other assholes tommy laren included doing that fucking okay symbol so no more fuck you you can't say oh they're just trolling you yeah you know what this guy wasn't just trolling because he killed dozens of people yeah i so I had an experience on Facebook where I was trying to um, insert myself into and force education onto somebody, and I was trying really hard with it, and they were going down... Somebody from your past. Yeah, they were going down rapidly into the white genocide kind of territory, and at one point, they commented in response to one of my black friends who commented on one of my threads and used the okay symbol em- emoji. And I ended up deleting them after they did that and telling them that that I know what they're doing, right? And they tried to deny it. But, and I, I struggled with it, right? Yeah. I, I was like, okay, fuck, is he really doing this or is he not? You know, am I overreacting here or am I not? But because of the trajectory that he was on and where he was going with his beliefs and ideas and then that he used that symbol in response to one of my black friends i just felt really uncomfortable yeah and so i deleted him and i have seen some white people on social media saying like i'm not going to give up that symbol because it means okay and it's like well it has been co-opted you know what i mean so maybe don't take a picture showing yourself doing that if it's so important to you that you are able to make the okay sign i mean why does that matter you know i don't know it's not it's not what i do all the time so it never was i mean yeah okay great okay well even i saw someone with a pepe the frog uh emoticon on instagram and they're like a normal person from the profile that's what it looks like they're they're a normal person uh what are you doing yeah no more you know no (laughs) you can't get that back it's gone forever you know it's like the swastika it also is gone forever and it's it has it wasn't always a symbol of hate yeah allied with the uh, the nazi party uh anyway thank you again thomas we appreciate the call very much let's uh let's read that email 
This is from Justin in New Zealand. Long time listener. You've obviously seen and heard the awful news. When you discuss this on your show, as I'm sure you will, can you point out the disparity between Jacinda Arden's reaction and Trump's? After saying these sincere, genuine, comforting words to the nation and those affected, she then turned staunch and said, there will be changes to the gun laws. Trump seems incapable of any genuine emotion as he displayed yet again in his comments and tweets yesterday. I'd go so far as to say that Jacinda Ardern is certainly the best leader in the world right now. Smart, not rigid in her dogma, compassionate, and not shy of a fight for a cause as she sees it. It would be great for you to recognize this on your next show. In these scary times of authoritarian creep and strongmen who Trump is so enamored with, New Zealand's prime minister shows what genuine leadership looks like to a mourning nation. Uh, I would agree with that. Um, she is certainly a, a thought leader on the world stage. Uh, the youngest female leader of a country, I believe, ever, I think. Maybe the second. Um, New Zealand is a pretty progressive country, even historically. It was the first country to give women the right to vote. Hmm. You know? Um, I'm. We're going to get to it. I've got the clips. So we're going to get to it on the other side. But I did. I do want to 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 say that we're we're thinking about you, New Zealand. We we do have um, listeners in New Zealand. Justin, um, Claudia, Monique, Lila, Richie, Merrick, Kobe. These are these are pe people who are part of the community. Mm -hmm. In times like this, it, it's. I mean, this is imagine. Something on this scale happening in the United States, which is, compared to New Zealand, a massive country. Um, we are a much larger, both in population and in land mass. And if 49 people were gunned down in a mosque, it, I mean, goddamn, I, I, can't, I cannot imagine... I mean, I can't imagine because we've we've had it happen in Orlando. We we've had it happen here in the United States a lot, and it is a a mourning moment for a nation. So I want to read the statement from Pete Buttigieg, but I did you have something that you wanted to play from the Prime Minister of New Zealand? I'm going to do it during Dalamocracy. We're going to play a clip that kind of explains what went down, uh, and then we're going to go through and and talk about him and in line so so not to not to move on from that or i guess i am doing that um no we're not moving on at all from it because okay. we're going to continue to talk about it i i i think the pete Buttigieg thing is is great to read because it it really shows what leadership should look like because it absent leadership from our president which is what we have right now we need people especially those who are running for president to show up so he is running for president, and he is also the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. And he released a statement to the members of the Islamic Society um, in South Bend. And he wrote, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's pretty long, but I'm just going to read two parts of it. Uh, quote, the diversity of our community is its strength. And the members of the Islamic community have greatly enriched this city in your worship, in your service, even by the diversity of nationalities among your number. 
We would be poorer without you. And I write not only to console you and to reassure you, but to ask something of you. I wish to tell you not only that you are loved, but also that you are needed. This city very much needs you at a time like this because you help demonstrate the values and desires that we all have in common. In your community involvement, in your professional work, in your very presence, when you live in accordance with your faith and bring your stories and traditions to the tapestry of this city and country, you are not only exercising a right, but also bearing a gift. You are our teachers and our doctors, our neighbors and our friends. We all live here as one, and whether you grew up right here in South Bend or whether this is your first year in America, you have an equal claim on the blessings of life in this community and a great deal to contribute. And so we are thankful to count you among us. Something like that would never yeah. be written by Donald Trump uh, or anyone who works for Donald Trump. Yeah. Like that one guy with the, the bald head. Who's he? Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller. So inconsequential. I can't even remember his that name. That is right. Um, Unfortunately, policy-wise, policy he is not inconsequential. He is a, a leader over there. So a lot of times when these things happen, the focus is on the terrorist and what the terrorist did and... I, I think that that is starting to go away and I'm, I'm not sure what the change is, or at least maybe I haven't been watching the news as much, so I haven't been hearing about it, but I wanted to highlight the story of a woman um, who, who was a helper when this went down. So her name is Jill Keats and she's 66 and she was driving to the mall when she heard the gunfire in New Zealand and she thought they were firecrackers. But then people started collapsing around her vehicle. So to the left of her car, someone fell to the ground and to the right of her car, someone fell to the ground. So she was right there as this was happening. And she decided to duck to get out of the way of the gunfire. And then she got out of her car and picked up a wounded man and put him in her car to protect him. And with the help of another person, held his wounds to stop the bleeding. And he was trying to call his wife and managed to get a hold of her. And the woman that was helping, uh, Jill Keats, she took the phone and she said that your husband's been shot outside the mosque. Don't come here. You won't get through, but please go to the hospital and wait for him. And she said she kept talking to him and telling him um, that he wasn't going to give up. And kept the pressure on him. And she said, we we did the best that we could for him until we could get him some help. And then she said, in the meantime, the poor guy across the road passed away. I never thought in my life I would live to see something like this, not in New Zealand. And as she was talking to the reporter, he tried to console her saying, we really commend you for what you did. You're really a hero. And she said, no, I'm not. No, you just do what you do at the time. I wish I could have done more. So a lot of times we don't hear about these people. Yeah. Right. Who are witnessing something terrible happening and just average an average person who decides to step in and put themselves at risk and help. Yeah. These aren't well-trained battle hardened veterans. These are a 66 year old lady driving to go shopping. something must be done. That is why this election, a broken record here, but that is why 2020 is the most consequential election of your life. 
And I don't care if you're 100 years old or just going to be turning 18. The United States of America is a leader on the world stage. Whether it be because of our cultural prowess or our economic prowess, it is just the way it is. And we have abdicated our duties, our sacred duty with Donald Trump in office because we do nothing when things like this happen. We do nothing but encourage these monsters with a Donald Trump in office who's listed in the manifesto, again, as a symbol of renewed white identity and common purpose, common purpose. This killer believed that he shares common purpose with Donald Trump. Needless to say, that's a problem. Justin, thank you for the email. We appreciate it very much. Let's move on, continuing to talk about this. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. We do not have any new Patreon supporters to announce, so we'll go through this really quickly. You can support us on Patreon. You can support us on Amazon, dollamore.com slash Amazon. And you can also support us by rating and review us on iTunes, but do not use profanity because it will not post. <laughs> yeah. And it's really easy. All you have to do is click those stars to give us a rating and then type a few words in to post a review and that's it. You're done. And we appreciate it. It is uh, it's very, very helpful to get us in front of new listeners. And, you know, the the, the bigger that we that we build the community, you you, you and us, the, 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 the larger the community, um, the more we're going to be able to reach your voice will go farther. Our voice will go farther. And uh, it is a team effort. We love you guys. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Dollamocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So let's kind of go through this. We'll give a little context to some of the things we've been talking about. Um, I'm, I'm assuming our audience is plugged in plugged in enough to to be apprised of the situation um, in Christchurch. But if not, here is a little sound for you to be uh, acquainted with the goings on with and some of the specifics. We want to get right to that breaking news: an anti-Muslim terror attack in New Zealand. The prime minister there is calling it one of the nation's darkest days. A gunman attacked two mosques while hundreds of Muslims were praying. The man who is claiming responsibility and charged with murder is an extreme 
right-wing white supremacist who live-streamed the attack, saying it was aimed at immigrants. Security stepping up here in the U.S. That's a live look at the Islamic Cultural Center right here in New York City. So here's what we know right now. At least 49 people were killed, 48 more wounded, multiple IEDs discovered attached to vehicles, and three people are now in custody. Our senior foreign correspondent Ian Panel starts us off with the very latest. Horrific scenes in a normally peaceful country playing out at two mosques in Christchurch. As worshippers were at midday prayers, the holiest of the week, multiple people ruthlessly gunned down. At 1.42pm local time, witnesses say a man dressed all in black entered the Masjid al-Nur mosque, shooting an automatic weapon. People were running out. I saw some people uh, had blood on their uh, body and some people were limping. This man, seen with blood on his shirt, was the last to escape hiding under a bench. He just came in, he was shooting, and I'm thinking that, you know, if I get out, I'll get shot, so I better, I'm just keeping my fingers crossed so I could be alive. But, yeah, you know, I was the last guy to come out of the mosque after the shooting stopped. And on the doors, there were a lot of bodies. The killer then drove three miles across town to the Limwood Mosque, where he opened fire again. Armed police closed in on the scene, searching cars for suspects, guns drawn. Police ramming a suspect's car, and then you can see him being taken into custody beside the vehicle. Two men and a woman now in custody in connection to the attacks. The shooter, who appears to have been from Australia, is linked to a 74-page manifesto filled with white supremacist rhetoric. He's charged with murder. Police also saying they defused two improvised explosive devices that were found on a vehicle after the shootings. Amidst the chaos, police officials now warning people to stay away from any mosque in New Zealand for now in case of further violence. I want to ask anyone that was thinking of going to a mosque anywhere in New Zealand today not to go, to close your doors until you hear from us again. Ambulances rushing victim after victim to hospitals as bystanders help the wounded. We pulled up and I opened up my driver's door and um, got out and we pulled him round behind and then opened up the back as well, give us some protection. I'm 66, never thought in my life I'd love to see something like this. Overnight, New Zealand's Prime Minister condemning this terrorist attack. This is one of New Zealand's darkest days. Clearly what has happened here is an extraordinary and unprecedented act of violence. So details still coming in about the attacker, his alleged accomplices, but most importantly, the victims. Two reasons why this was so shocking. One, it was broadcast live by the attacker himself. But most importantly, this is a country that has never seen a terrorist attack ever before. But nor should it be seen in isolation. There's been a noticeable increase in extreme right-wing terrorist attacks from America to Europe and elsewhere. And whether you're going to a mosque, to a church or to a temple today, the chances are you're going to be on high alert as you do the most peaceful possible thing. Pray. So that was uh, Jill Keats that you heard in mm-hmm. that clip, the 66-year-old woman um, crying there. Um, it is, it's really hard to talk about these things um i think that it's much easier when we do the show to like shit on donald trump and uh talk about that certainly easier um and it's a struggle 
to to talk about these things, but it's important. I understand that. Listen, this is a fact. The fact the fact of the matter is is that white supremacy right now is the single greatest threat of mass violence on the planet. It just is. Donald Trump can talk about the invasion from our southern border of refugees using the word invasion. He came to office, came into office saying we need to ban all Muslims coming into the country until we can find out what the hell is going on. Muslims aren't the greatest threat right now to the planet. They never were. But even radical Islam has taken a back seat to virulent white supremacy. These dipshits who yell about white genocide. That if I marry an, or have a baby with someone of color, I'm contributing to white genocide. Well, I... I want to go back to what you were saying about Donald Trump and his comments about Muslims, because a lot of this footage is resurfacing. There's just been so much that has happened in terms of his stupidity and his racism that we we forget a lot of it. But you remember some of these town halls. There was one where a woman uh, suggested that he replace, quote, the heebie jobbies working as TSA officers with veterans. And she was referring, obviously, to um, Muslims who wear hijabs. And he replied, we're looking at that. We're looking into a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Right? And there was another one where uh, a man asked a question about doing something about all the Muslims. And said our current president is one. And, that, that guy? Uh, did he say that? Or was that John McCain that you're no, thinking No, no. That, that, the guy, he actually said it in that sing-songy tone I just did. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and then I think the standard reply that Trump always gave was, we're looking at that. We're That's looking right. into a lot of things. So by even acknowledging it and saying, we're looking into that, uh, that is supporting that kind of rhetoric. Exactly right. And or at least giving it credence that it's valid, valid enough to look into as a solution. Right. And reinforcing uh, hatred and bigotry. And it's, it's not as though it's surprising, right? I mean, we, yeah. we've learned that this is kind of the way that he operates, but it's still something that we shouldn't forget, especially when they try to signal um, <laughs> about their, their responses to these things. Now, remember when the shooting happened at the synagogue, there was a lot of talk about anti-Semitism. Right. And you even have Donald Trump Jr. now defending Chelsea Clinton when Chelsea Clinton was harassed by that that woman at um, the memorial service for the Muslims that were killed. Did you see the footage? You look like you don't. Uh, um, yeah, that, I, I, that's I've heard talk of it online, but I haven't seen it. I don't know exactly what happened. Yeah. So there was a woman who was very angry with Chelsea Clinton and um telling her uh, that she wasn't happy with her comments about Ilhan Omar, that she's there, you know, supporting the victims of this attack, but that she uh, played a role in increasing Islamophobia in her criticisms to Ilhan Omar. And Donald Trump is tweeting defending Chelsea Clinton and saying wow. that anti-Semitism is a serious problem. So they're only focusing on that, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't hear their responses to these attacks. Like, we need to stand with Muslims. We need to stand with the Islamic community. 
communities, you know, you don't you don't hear them say that. And that is because of the bigotry. Yeah, for sure. Right. Well, lo- listen, we know Donald Trump has long. When you when you make fun of racism, you diminish its its impact. You you diminish its even existence. I mean, Donald Trump has long been a guy who dismisses th- that anything is racist. You're racist. You're racist. You're racist. They keep saying it. You're racist. That's not a guy who's taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. That's a guy who's a racist who's trying to diminish the effect of racism in the world. When the question was asked of the connection between the New Zealand shooter and the president, listen to Mercedes Schlapp. She's Matt Schlapp's wife. They are uh, the founders of CPAC, and she has, actually has a position within the administration as doing something in the, in the office, the communications office. Yeah, it's outrageous to even make that connection between a, this this deranged individual that committed this evil crime uh, to the president who has repeatedly condemned bigotry, racism, and has made it very clear that this is a terrorist attack. And we are there to support and stand with the people of New Zealand. Is it really outrageous, though, to make the connection when the same language that was used in the manifesto about the invasion That's the words he used. Donald Trump, after the shooting, after the knowledge of what was in the manifesto, used this, chose to use the same language as the shooter in reference to our southern border. Last month, more than 76,000 illegal migrants arrived at our border. We're on track for a million illegal aliens to rush our borders. People hate the word invasion, but that's what it is. It's an invasion of drugs and criminals and people. We have no idea who they are, but we capture them because border security is so good. But they're put in a very bad position and we're bursting at the seams. Literally bursting at the seams. So it it really, it gets exhausting having to draw all these parallels because, I mean, are people forgetting Right. Mercedes Schlapp acting like he has he has called out bigotry. You know, um, when Sarah Huckabee Sanders is standing at the platform, uh, the podium, and they're asking her, well, well, how do we know that Donald Trump has condemned so and so? Well, he condemned them to me privately. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. So we're we're supposed to take your word for it that behind the scenes, Donald Trump is a really nice progressive guy who is like advocating against white supremacy and racism. But when he goes out on stage, he just can't help himself. Like, I mean, what's the point of you even trying to go with that line of argument? For sure. And really, that's that's what matters. I don't give a fuck about the scripted Donald Trump about prompter prompt. Prompter Trump. Prompter Prump. Prompter Prump. I don't care about Prompter Prump. I really don't. I care about off Prompter Prump. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the guy. That's the true Prump. Yeah. Is is the mouthy fucking? Um, I am the least racist person you've ever met. That guy. Yeah. Well, can we talk about some good news? Uh, well, it's. I mean, it's it's okay news. I mean, it's 
it's it's it's it's news it's news okay <laughs> so after this happened milo yiannopoulos said some terrible things including that um the Christchurch situa- situation happened quote because the establishment panders to and molly coddles extremist leftism and barbaric alien religion cultures uh, and after he said this australia revoked his visa he was and, on the way he has like a speech speaking engagement there right not anymore yeah that's right no more touring for him uh no more visa for mr yiannopoulos he shouldn't be in our country well look at them taking action on that immediately right that's leadership so let's get to one more thing that's not leadership and then i want to play the new zealand prime minister um talking about her response to this naming it what it is this is terrorism donald trump couldn't even when asked say that it was terrorism he couldn't say yeah the white supremacy is a scourge that we need to take care of on the world stage in fact he said the opposite it's not that big a problem it's only a small group of people people and they want to see borders that are strong where we don't allow drugs and crime and all of the problems coming into our country thank you all very much thank you thank you I don't really. I think it's a uh, small group of people that have very, very serious problems. I guess if you look at what happened in New Zealand, perhaps that's a case. I don't know enough about it yet. They're just learning about the person and the people involved. Uh, But it's certainly a terrible thing. Terrible thing. Yes. Mr. President, some of the Republicans. So that's not a tacit approval. But in dog whistle terms, and I know we talk about dog whistles all the time, that's giving room to move. These racists, just who 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 are compatriots with this with this animal who just killed all these people, they take that as yeah, we get it. We know what he's saying. Well, I'm just I'm really sick of this because Donald Trump has the best brain. He has the best thoughts. He's the smartest guy. He knows all the information. He doesn't need to consult with the generals. He's right. you know, he's he's just the top dog in every single area. He's also except fearless. For, He'll say anything. Right. Except for when you actually like put his feet to the fire and you want an answer on something, then he never knows enough about anything to That's give you right. a comment. He doesn't know who David Duke is. He doesn't know what this KK thing is that you're talking about. Like, I thought that you have all the right. information. You have the best brain. Also, Steve King. Oh, I have I haven't really even looked into that. I, what did he? I don't I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to look into it. But then Ilhan Omar, he's fucking all over that. He's got all the words about that. The Democrats hate fucking Jews. He mm-hmm. says, yeah. But this happens. Oh no, it's a small group of. Yeah, I, I don't. Who you know, could ever, who could all ever the, know? All the information is still coming in. We don't. Uh. Yeah, we don't really know. We never know. That's not leadership. This, my friends, is leadership. While work is being done as to the chain of events that led to both the holding of this gun license and the possession of these weapons, I can tell you one thing right now. Our gun laws will change. There have been attempts to change our laws in 2005, 2012, and after an inquiry in 2017. Now is the time for change. This individual was not on the radar uh, of either Australian intelligence agencies or New Zealand intelligence agencies. Yes, he had travelled to a range of countries, sporadically been in and out of New Zealand for periods of time. Uh, But I've asked uh, on Monday to convene again, reconvene 
all those agencies who will be able to piece together the nature of that travel, the sequence of events in terms of obtaining gun licenses, and then shortly thereafter, the gun license was obtained in November 27, uh, 2017. The purchasing of weapons began in uh, December 2017. So obviously a sequence and chain of events there uh, that began um, some time ago, but those are all uh, issues that we are seeking answers around. Jacinda Ardern, Prime Minister, New Zealand. Acting like a leader does. Mm -hmm. We have uh, identified a problem and we're going to solve that problem. We're going to take steps to do what we think is best to address that problem. A bunch of kids are gunned down in a high school In America, oh, we're gonna no, we're gonna look, we're gonna look at it. We, we, we who knows? We, no, the, the, not not even that. We can't talk about it right now. That's right. This isn't the time. For sure, you need to be more respectful. Let's not talk about it. Let's let's give everyone time to mourn. Dozens of people are gunned down from an elevated fighting position of a hotel in Vegas, and uh, nothing. Bump stocks. Oh, it, it took a year. Bump, bump stocks finally got taken care of. Mm-hmm. But, but not the weapon itself, some accessory. That is not leadership. And it's not as though our Constitution is written in such a way that tweaks can't be made relative to regulation and policy. That's not our situation. I used to be fond of saying that, that, well, you know, other countries don't have it like we have it because the Second Amendment is baked in. That was a cop-out. That's kicking the can down the road. Putting blame on reasons that aren't really there. Because assault weapons, AR-15 style weapons, haven't always been legal in the country. And it wasn't an unconstitutional time then. But instead of dealing with problems like gun violence in America which largely, and especially on the scale that we experience it here, doesn't exist anywhere else. You have one-off situations like this in other countries. But this, this what that happened here in New Zealand, this is the worst mass shooting in their history. And we've just talked about two or three just off the top of our heads, in recent, just since Donald Trump has been president. This happens all the time here. And rather than act like Jacinda Ardern, Donald Trump hides under his desk for fear that the NRA will come for him because he is a coward. And Republicans are cowards. Money has so infected our political process that they run at the very first sight of Wayne LaPierre and Ollie North coming to the door. I want to leave you guys with this. There's one last clip I'm going to play, and I don't know if I've professed my love for Juliette Kayyem on the show before. Mm -hmm. She is an intelligence uh, guru. I think she works for Yale or Harvard now, professor. 
but she has worked within the intelligence infrastructure of the country for a long time. She is a, a, a CNN analyst, intelligence analyst. And also, there's there's a, another gentleman who also is a CIA veteran who here in this uh, in this clip talking about what we just played, the sound of Donald Trump. That only a small group of people are white nationals. Oh, the dog whistle effect here. Look, Bob, you know, this uh, the suspect in New Zealand, 28 year old man, from what we understand, what we are being told by the prime minister there, this person uh, spent a lot of time traveling around the world. This person thought about doing this attack in a lot of places. One of them perhaps could have been here. He chose New Zealand because it's a quiet place. He wanted to make a point, but he also wanted to, to make a point to the United States about guns. I think one of the scary things here, it's not like this is some person who was a lone wolf and just in one place and in New Zealand. This is a person who could have done this anywhere. Oh, absolutely, Aaron. We've talked about this before. Getting weapons in this country illegally is very easy. Um, you know, you, you just you go, you do go to a gun show, buy one, or even, in fact, use a car. That's never the problem. What he was doing in New Zealand is trying to incite Americans to pick up arms against outsiders. And, and this movement is much more dangerous right now than the Islamic State. As Juliet was saying, we can intercept communications from overseas, but domestically, the yeah, FBI course, needs yeah. a warrant and they're hard to get and it's hard to penetrate these groups. And you know, look, Juliet, this is also the point when Bob says this is much more dangerous right now than uh, Islamic terror. You, you have um, a lot of rhetoric out there that at best mm -hmm. is problematic, right? No rise in, in white nationalism. Um, it, yeah. Using the word invade today to talk about people of color coming into the you have a person massacre people calling immigrants invaders. That's just some of the rhetoric. Right. Coming from the very that's, top that's in this country. Yeah. And, and it's not an accident and Trump isn't careless or whatever. No. This is a consistent feature of the president of of, of taking one thing that, say, an African-American or a, a Muslim or, a, or an immigrant does and imploding that into a national emergency and then refusing to look at the totality of circumstances of the threat that uh, right-wing extremism poses to us and, and sort of saying, well, maybe the guy was crazy or we don't know what he really believed. The president knows exactly what he's doing. I cannot get into his heart. But what I can say is that the failure to condemn this from the top as you know as compared to say what the new zealand prime minister did gives a sense of um, acceptance if not lack of condemnation to those who believe it now no, most of those people are not violent let's just be clear here but some percentage of them will be and they will not hear the isolation of their hatred that needs to come from the top and it's not excusable I mean, you know it's not carelessness this is a purposeful tactic unless you know uh, from from the beginning, from from the elevate, from coming down the elevator. And what is the purpose uh, the, here? What is the purpose here, Bob? I mean, he he's appealing to his base. This is dog whistle politics, and it is racism, and you can't describe it any other way. When he called immigrants animals, it was the same as Adolf Hitler uh, used to call foreigners animals, Jews and and gypsies. It, it's the same politics. It's neo-Nazism, and he may not advocate violence. But for a lot of people that listen to him, as Juliet said, it's an incitement to violence.
So one thing I really liked there was how she used the phrase purposeful tactic. We talk a lot about Donald Trump being a dumb guy, being very stupid. Yeah, sure. And while those things are true, what Donald Trump is good at is being very manipulative and ensuring that he sells himself well to people who are going to support him. Yeah. Right. He's not worried about winning over intellectual types. I was going to say, you don't have or to be experts. You don't have to be a, uh, a, a, a wordsmith to be a good communicator. He yeah. is a good communicator. Yeah, and so he he knows to the group he wants to communicate. Right, he knows what he's doing, and if he doesn't call it white supremacist terrorism, if he doesn't talk about white nationalism being a problem, there is a purpose behind that, and the purpose is I don't want to alienate the people who are supporting me. Yeah, and I need to ensure that there's enough wiggle room here to where they continue to say that guy's on our side. And that sums it up. That's that's it. That that's absolutely it. And I like. Listen, I'm sure we don't have a ton of Republicans or conservatives or Trump supporters in the audience. But if you're a Republican and you're still supporting this guy, and you're still showing up at the Resolute desk to stand behind him in support of his policy objectives, you're what's wrong right now with America. You're what's wrong with politics. There isn't anything important enough to prop this president up as legitimate, to prop him up as as a good and decent arbiter of the, the ideals and values of America. He is a clear and present danger to the world. And this week was just more evidence of that. That is why 2020, this is broken record time, folks, I should just put this on a actual record this and put it out. 2020 is the most consequential election of our lifetimes. Be prepared to put in the work. Be prepared to volunteer. Be prepared to give 20 or 50 or 100 or whatever you can spare to the candidate. Because it is necessary that we would get rid of not only Donald Trump, but this iteration of the Republican Party, because it is dangerous to the world. We're going to leave you there. I don't know how we would shift gears to a taking care of biz or an asshole of today and tell some jokes. Sometimes, I think sometimes it's best to sit. Sit with the thoughts. Sit with the reality. Of what we face. This is not just a United States problem. Obviously. This is a. This is a world problem. We're in this together. Globally. Anyway we love you guys. We appreciate you. We want to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Of course you can always email a voice memo. From your smartphone to I doubt it. At dollamore.com We will see you next time everybody. Thanks for joining us. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. Yeah, listen, our lives are not that interesting. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs)